Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 24. Hear now God's Word. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychius, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Lord willing, we have arrived at our final sermon in this series on the epistle to the Ephesians. And I hear a sigh. Um, sermon 77. Um, I have received a full range of comments on these sermons, including, I could stay in this book forever. And, how much longer till we're finished? Um, one said, I haven't learned anything about Ephesians in these sermons. And someone else said, these are the best sermons you've ever preached. And I thought, well, maybe those two go together. Um, And so I am reminded of what Calvin Coolidge said about public men. He says, who have been twice spoiled. They have been spoiled with praise and they have been spoiled with abuse. Uh, With them, nothing is natural. Everything is artificial. Perhaps these observations say as much about the hearers as they do about the preacher. As my friend Ben House used to say, a good student can learn even under bad conditions. And so at least I hold out hope that many of you are good students. At any rate, here we are at the end. Much has been said by the Apostle Paul, and much has been said by me, uh, and much has been left unsaid. There is always more to learn. As the Apostle finished his exhortation regarding our need for donning the whole armor of God in our spiritual warfare, he now appends a concluding exhortation that is crucial to our success in spiritual warfare. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In order to make proper use of all the armor that God's provided for us, we are going to need the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. There must be a living relationship with God. There must be constant contact with God. If you attempt to fight the devil in your own strength, then you will fail. In fact, let me say this, if, if you have been failing, and some of you have been failing, then this is likely the cause of the problem. Little or no vital living relationship with God. 
He's up there somewhere. He's kind of somebody we come and mention at church. Occasionally crosses your mind, but not like Abraham, someone you walk with. To pray is to talk with and to commune with the living God. And since God is a spirit, you will have to commune with Him in spirit, in the spirit. It is more than truth. It is more than knowledge. It is more than liturgy or form. This is the kind of prayer that emanates from within a regenerate heart that actually longs to know and walk with God. It's prayer that is not tacked on to the front or the end of something else. It's an ongoing conversation with God. It is praying always. It's an open-ended conversation with God. This is where we come and see and recognize our utter dependence upon God. We take a lot of pride in being self-sufficient. And I think that's uh, something we need to rethink. Self-sufficiency is not something we ought to be proud about. Pride is the part of the problem. God created us to be dependent upon Him and to be dependent upon one another. And when we try to go it alone and when we try to handle it ourselves and we don't make use of the things that God has given us, His Word, His Spirit, prayer, one another, all those things, when, we're, when we think, I've got this, I've got this, you don't have this. And when you say that, get ready, because if you're a child of God, He's about to teach you that. He's about to show you that you don't have this, and that you do need Him. And the sooner you learn that, uh, the happier you're going to be. Um, and so... This is where, again, we come to see our dependence upon our Lord Jesus Christ. You are wasting away without Him. Jesus Himself taught us that it was necessary to pray. He rose up early. He stayed up late. He went aside to pray to His Father. If that was essential for the Son of God, how much more so for us? And thus Jesus taught His disciples, saying in Luke 18, 1, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. He connects those two. Have you lost heart lately? You discouraged? Jesus says pray. You're not praying enough. So again, I would suggest that if you've lost heart, if you find yourself fainting, then perhaps, again, you're not praying very much at all. Now this prayer should be all kinds of prayer. All prayer, he says. Private and public and spontaneous, short and long and alone and with others. He specifically mentions supplication, which means that in that prayer you're asking for things. Philippians 4, 6-7. through 7, Be anxious for nothing. Anybody anxious? Worried? Fearful? Be anxious for how much? Nothing. Thank you. Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, that's request, and I love that he puts this in here, almost parenthetically, with thanksgiving. Now you're anxious, right? You're coming into this afraid. And he says, all right, you're getting ready to make some requests. 
But before you do that, stop. Let's, let's be thankful. You've got a lot to be thankful for. Okay, now, let's go back. And let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding. God may not explain everything He's doing. The peace of God, which passes understanding, will do what? Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Is that a platitude? Is that just a nice saying to put on a plaque? This is the instruction that God gives me and you as to what to do when we're worried and fearful. In the middle of any battle, anxiety is a real problem. There is fear. There is a lack of confidence. So here is what you do. Prayer and supplication. And don't forget the thanksgiving. Tell God what you need and then He will take care of the rest. I think we can tell who believes this and who doesn't by how much peace they have. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusteth in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. This is why we pray. This is why we go to him. I don't have the strength. I don't have the might. I don't have the will. I don't have anything that I need by myself, but I go to him who is my strength. This is all the more important when you are experiencing some special difficulty. Because it is at that point that you are especially vulnerable to the wiles of the devil. You are tempted to be depressed and discouraged. You're tempted to quit. Now, now is when you pray. And in praying, you remember what? Things like Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our present help in trouble. We remember that. We flee to Him. God is our hiding place. He is all-powerful. How many resources does He have? Unlimited. And my God shall supply how many of your needs? All of your needs. Every last one of them, according to what? His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What sin, what temptation, what relationship, what other things are wearing you down? Have you really gone to God in sincere and earnest prayer? And have you gone to Him repeatedly, praying always in the Spirit? You have to persevere in this. If you treat it lightly, then it's not effective. Now you should pray for yourself, but a big part of your praying, according to this text, should be for others. The warfare that we are engaged in is not something we are fighting alone. It's way bigger than me. It's way bigger than you. Salvation is not simply a private or personal matter. 
One of the reasons we assemble here every Lord's Day, every Sunday morning, to worship together and to remember that we are, is to remember that we are part of something bigger than us individually. There is nothing you do every week that is any more important than this. Your wedding, your vacations, your birthdays, your out-of-town company should all be scheduled around corporate worship. None of those are any more important than this. And if you make them more important, you've sent a horrible message to the rest of your family, and don't be surprised uh, when you've got your priorities all out of whack that things don't go that well. You see, the devil wants you to think it's just you and Jesus in your heart. And as a result, we have all kinds of personal and family problems because we sit alone and we commiserate with ourselves. I hear a lot of this, oh, I'm a very private person. Well, in one sense, we're all private people, right? But that's not the same thing as being a secret person. You're also to be a public person. And the Bible says you are to share your burdens and your concerns and your needs with his people. Too many of us have an ongoing personal pity party, and we spend an awful lot of time feeling very sorry for ourselves. God says that we need him and that we need each other. I'll take his word for it. Paul wrote, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make, an away, will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So you're surrounded by people who face similar temptations, sometimes greater temptations. Did you know that other people are having the same battles that you are, and many of them are having even harder battles than you are? You just thought you were alone. So our text tells us to make supplications for all the saints because they are engaged in the same conflict that you are. Ultimately, this is God's battle. <coughs> we have a wonderful illustration of this in the Old Testament story of Jehoshaphat and uh, the children of Israel as they were confronted with a great multitude of enemies. And so uh, I want to read, it's a longer passage here, but it's such a great story. Second Chronicles 20, 1 through 15. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So I want you to think of the spiritual battle and how there are always forces arrayed against God's people. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in uh, Hazazon Tamar, which, uh, is, uh, uh, which is in, in, in Gidi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set him... Listen to what he does now. He's afraid. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. 
and proclaimed a fast, prayer, right? A fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And they didn't just do it individually, they came together to do it. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God our fathers of our fathers, are you not God of heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built a sanctuary in it in your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here we are, and and now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out, your possession which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. What happens to us as individuals also happens to us together. There is a total war going on, and our personal battles are but a small part of that bigger warfare. And when we get this bigger perspective, then we will think less of ourselves, and we will be delivered from that horrible thing called morbid introspection, as though it's all about me. When a country goes to war, it is not a private war. The whole country is concerned and involved. Individuals are in the war because they are citizens of the country that is at war. So too, we are engaged in a cosmic spiritual war. And we are individual soldiers who are fighting in God's army. We are fighting against the devil and all of his forces. Therefore, when one fails, we all fail because we're members of one another. 
Paul has already laid out this theology very clearly in this epistle, particularly in chapter 4. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. So all the problems are not yours. Other people need your prayers as well. And that's why we make supplication for all the saints. We are always connected to one another. We're connected when we sit here on a Sunday morning, but we are connected when we go out the door and throughout the week. There are no truly private acts that don't affect us all. And so we have assembled again to regroup and to resupply. (coughs) Hebrews 3, Beware, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. This is just a passage that tells us how important it is that we recognize that we're in this together. We need one another. We need accountability from one another. We need encouragement from one another. We need the prayers of one another. We must remember that there are many saints throughout the world who are in especially difficult and trying situations. And sometimes, in fact many times, if we know their problems, it makes ours pale in comparison. Do you think of them? How often? Do you pray for them? They are our brothers and sisters who are fighting in other units in God's army. And prayer makes a difference. You might ask, but how does prayer work? I don't understand it. I thought God was sovereign and that He just does whatever He wants to do. Prayer doesn't make any sense to me. You ever thought that? Well, let me tell you something. Inkjet printers don't make any sense to me. And I use them every day. They're a mystery. An airplane is a total mystery to me. I have no idea how they work, but I still fly when I need to. In fact, I've got to tell you, pretty much the whole world is full of things that I don't understand how they work. And if I waited until I understood them before I made use of them, I would be waiting forever. Prayer is a great mystery. But I know this about prayer, and you do too. God ordained it as a means to bless and to strengthen His people, and if you don't pray, you will not be blessed and you will not be strengthened. That's really all I need to know. If I don't get on the airplane, I'm not going anywhere. All I need to know, frankly, is I have some level of confidence first, but then I have to have just enough to get me on there and buckle my seatbelt, and then I'm going somewhere. You better know this about prayer. If you're not praying, then don't expect the blessing. And if you are, then you have every reason to expect it. The Apostle Paul describes the trouble that he experienced 
when he wrote to the church at Corinth. Listen to what he says here. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, or beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We thought we were going to die. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And then listen to what he says. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul said the only reason we got through that is you were praying for us. You were connected to us. And so you also get to rejoice when God answers that prayer and brought us through that. You were part of that. Now God could do this without us, but He has chosen to do this through us. He blesses His people through our prayers. And our text urges us to persevere as we make supplication for all the saints. If you'll get on your knees and pray for others, then I suspect you will stand up having forgotten about yourself. The pity party would be over. And you can get busy winning. Now the greatest Christians recognize that they are dependent upon other Christians for prayer. And we know that Paul himself here asked for prayer. Here's what he says, And for me, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now Paul writes these words from prison, and he doesn't say, I have a prayer request, would you pray that God would spring me and get me out of prison? That's not what he asked for. I'm sure he would like to be out. I'd assume they probably did pray for that, but that wasn't the first thing on his list. His prayer request transcended his personal concerns. He wanted to be sure that regardless of his personal situation, the mystery of the gospel would be made known to others. Specifically, he wanted to speak boldly. And he he mentions that twice here in this short passage. He knew that if people didn't pray for him, that his words would fall flat. Now the... So the Spirit has to attend the preaching of the Word. The Word preached does more than one kind of work. It convicts, it enlivens, it wounds, it kills, it comforts, it heals, it instructs, it separates. Sometimes it just goes in one ear and out the other. Because the words have to be spoken and they have to be heard. Like Ezekiel speaking to the bones, the valley of dry bones, they might rattle, but they can't live. 
So what did God say next to Ezekiel? He says, Ezekiel, I want you to speak to the wind, to the Spirit. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, the Spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now I can assure you that this preacher is aware of many of his limitations, but I also know that, that, the very, that my very best efforts will fall to the ground without your prayers. If the Apostle Paul's preaching required the prayers of others, then I know mine needs even more. And so I'm asking you rhetorically, do you pray for me and other preachers? That we would be bold. That we wouldn't hold back. I want to be able to say what Paul said in Acts 20. 26 and 27, Therefore I testified to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. We live in a time when preachers are afraid to speak boldly. And while I don't think our manner should be offensive, I do think that truth is often offensive. And in order to avoid any offense, the truth frequently dies by a thousand qualifications. As a result, the gospel, that is good news for helpless sinners, has become little more than a placebo that cures nothing at all. And so, like Paul, I ask you to pray for me, and pray for other preachers that we would not fear men, that we would fear God. I want to deliver God's Word 16 ounces to the pound. That's how we ought to speak. John Wesley said, Give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell. Billy Sunday. Didn't think I'd be quoting him. The backslider likes the preaching that wouldn't hit the side of a house, while the real disciple is delighted when the truth brings him to his knees. And Horatius Bonar, bold preaching is the only preaching that is owned by God. Now in closing, I want you to think about your biggest struggle, your toughest spiritual battle. What is your most difficult daily challenge? How much time have you spent earnestly praying about this? I don't mean say a prayer. I mean praying. Beseeching God. Could it be said of you that you are praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance? You keep at it? 
James says you do not have because you do not ask. And John tells us, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Praying always. I think when it comes to our marriages and our child rearing and our jobs and our finances and other conflicts that we have and other relationships, prayer is way down the list. In fact, it's so far down that it almost never gets brought into the picture. We'll read books. We'll have discussions. We make lists on the board. We, uh, we fight it out. We wait it out. We do all kind of things. We do everything but the most basic thing. Go to the one that can do something about you first. Because when you go before God, it's hard to go with an arrogant heart. Because the first thing that happens when I stand before God is I'm reminded of who I am and what I am. And boy, that solves a lot of problems right there. Next, I can pray for other people, even the ones that are aggravating me. Wouldn't that be good? Maybe God will change their hearts too. Maybe if you start responding with that kind of heart to other people, they'll respond to you too. And we go down, all your plans for raising your kids, do you pray for them? I mean pray every day, more than once a day. And we, I, we could go on and on. You, I want your mind to run wild here. You've got the simplest, easiest thing you can possibly do at your disposal 24-7. But if you don't use it, it's worthless. And if you do use it, it's worth more than everything else. So, I hope you go out the door today with a plan, with some resolve. I'm going to pray more. And that won't just happen. When? What time of day? How? What is the plan? Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for inspiring and preserving the letter to the Ephesians so that we too might know your will. We rejoice to know that you also had us in mind, and that these words, while they were written to the church at Ephesus, they were also written for us. Help us to receive them as the living word, and to that, uh, and to that, uh, that we might take these exhortations to heart. Help us to pray always and to persevere in those prayers. And may we remember that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And may we remember to make supplication for all the saints. Like the Apostle, we pray that, our utter, that utterance may be given to us and that we may open our mouths boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel. For we too are ambassadors for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.